Hello, and welcome to Patmos. Thank you for listening and or watching, whichever the case may be. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Caesar's carrot and stick. And by that, I mean the interaction of the church and the kind of incentive structures that the secular powers, the principalities, have set up to help to rein in the church. But first, I'd like to ask you that if you could, uh, please go to iTunes and leave a review and a star rating, preferably five stars. Uh, if you're on YouTube or if you can do both, uh, head over there, subscribe, uh, like this video, share it. Um, and uh, I, I appreciate that. That really helps. I also do have a community on Locals.com. So Locals.com is not outside completely of Silicon Valley, but it's uh, definitely outside of the kind of the ideology of, um, of the progressive left that is kind of uh, very much prevalent and very anti-Christian to an extent. Um, so I've set up a community there just to kind of give me a little bit more leeway than I would find um, on Twitter uh, and Facebook. So you go to ozymandias.locals.com. That's O-Z-Y-M-A-N-D-I-A-S.locals.com. And uh, you can do that for free. It's free to like posts. It's free to read anything. Um, but uh, unfortunately, or I shouldn't say unfortunately, but Locals requires a $2 a month minimum fee to uh, be able to interact, post, uh, comment, and things like that. And the reason that they do that is because it does cost money to run a service like that. So uh, I don't fault them for that. But it's a, a minimum of $2 a month. So that's what I've set as the basically the subscription if you'd like to do that. But you can also reach out to me um, on Twitter. And my Twitter handle is twitter.com slash paracelsusburns, P-A-R-A-C-E-L-C-E-L-S-U-S-B-U-R-N-S, paracelsusburns. Um, so into the topic, uh, I don't really have any notes or anything in front of me. I just got uh, one little thing pulled up here and I actually had recorded this, uh, earlier, uh, last week before I went on uh, vacation or a really brief, uh, return home. But after when I was about to leave, I was going to, um, get it set for release. And then I realized that it did what I try never to do, um, which is to record through my webcam uh, microphone there, which is, I mean, it's not terrible, but it's like talking to somebody in 2002 on a, on a cell phone. So uh, I decided to, you know, re-record this after I got back. So I apologize for, for being a little late with that, but uh, I, I hope that you'll forgive me. So the, the topic of this is that the secular state has always been the secular powers, the principalities and the powers of this world um, have always been very leery of Christianity. And you saw this at first um, because uh, you saw this at first in Rome um, and in Rome at the very beginning of Christianity, um, to an extent, there was um, trepidation about it. Um, very, very early, it was kind of just seen as kind of like this this weird cult of those peoples um, in the East who believed in one God. But as they started to gain more and more converts, um, they actually started to get notice, um, not just from the local governors in, in the Middle East and, and, and areas around in Greece, 
but in Rome itself. And in a very Girardian uh, way, they became the scapegoats uh, where things got blamed on them. It was the Christians who did this. Um, uh, and some of that may or may not be true um, when we talk about uh, Nero and, 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 um, and those types of stories. But um, those stories are symbolic and they are as true regardless of whether or not they're historically accurate or not. And that's one thing we're not going to go into now, but that historically accurate and truth are not uh, are, are, aren't things that that you know, that exist outside of each other. Um, something can be historically inaccurate and be absolutely true, but that, that's a different topic for a different day. But the state has always seen the secular powers, the principalities um, of the world, and I'll just refer to to the the secular state as just principalities of the world from here on out. Has always seen it as a danger. Right, because it is a group that is not serving the prince of this world. It is a group serving the Most High. It is a group that is outside, in a sense, of their ability to influence and power and have power over. And you saw this with the massive clampdowns, the persecutions, and things like that early on in the in, in the period. And then after Constantine's conversion, or I guess you could say his conversion came later, um, but his is making Christianity legal. Um, it's it started to ease off, and Christians had uh, not only uh, the freedom to practice the religion without um, persecution. Uh, but they also kind of became almost a favored uh, favored group. And this led to the desert ascetics um, seeking a, a, a martyrdom of a different sort, right? A martyrdom to self versus a martyrdom from the, from the powers, um, the secular powers and principalities of this world. And, and um, seeking a martyrdom for, for those uh, powers and principalities on a different plane, a different level. But... Over time, you've seen this waxing and waning of how the powers of the world interacted with them. There were individuals and states and that um, embraced, to an extent, um, the Christian message, but not completely. And this is why you'll see things like, oh, you know, and the atheists are historically accurate when they go, well, X happened, right? The, the, the pogroms and... In, um, in in modern uh, what is now Germany or the Germanic lands, right? Um, the sacking of Constantinople, or uh, you know other things that went along during the Crusades and things like that. Um, and that is because of what Tom Holland talks about in Dominion is that it was a slow process of Christianization, even though the majority of Europeans, um, let's say in the Middle Ages, uh, were professed Christians or uh, you know, they, they went to church the twice a year that they, that, that they, uh, most of them did go. Um, and they did all those sorts of things. The, the Christianization of the culture and of the mind uh, was an ongoing process. It didn't happen all of a sudden. And during this kind of tussle of the Christianization of the culture, right, there was always kind of periods of times where you would have a ruler, where you would have a an empire or whatever that would be more 
embracing of not just Christianity, but the Christian culture, the Christian message, the, the essence of being, of being a Christian in, in various forms. And then there would be others who were like today, uh, like a Biden sort of Christian who's, you know, uh, says that they are, but when you actually look at their actions, that the, that they are not, they have not been Christianized. They are seeking, um, they're seeking the, the embrace of the powers and principalities, um, of the prince of this world. And for a very long time, those powers and principalities did to Christianity what they did to Christ. They would, when in conflict, when one would conflict with their ability to get power, to maintain power, to increase their power, they would um, lash out, um, often violently. And that was, it, it's one of the, my favorite explanations or just kind of a insight was that God knows how the prince of this world operates and how he reacts. And it's not to say that these powers and principalities and the prince of this world are dumb, but they are predictable often, but they are cunning as well. But when they saw Christ, they did not quite know who he was. They knew he was holy. They knew he had great power. They knew he was favored by God. So they sought to use the powers and principalities of this world to help put him down. And they thought that they had achieved a victory by having him crucified, by having him rejected by the people of Jerusalem. And in fact, what they were doing was fulfilling God's plan for redemption of the world. And for a long time, they continued to operate in that very same way and seemingly didn't learn from their mistake. And they would, well, you know, let's, let's encourage those who are seeking, who we can influence, these humans that we can influence, these humans that are seeking our, our favor and our privilege, who are seeking to gain access to a taste of the, the power that has been granted to us, because they have been granted power by God. They cannot operate. It is part of God's plan that they do have a level of power. And even within scripture, it talks about um, periods where they will be granted even more power. But they can't operate without that. They're not, while they rebelled against God, they cannot rebel against his power. They can't operate and do anything that they want without God's will allowing it. If he so chose, they would be destroyed, but it is part of his plan, it is part of his will. Much of this we don't understand. And it's not for us to understand, but it is part of, of his plan and his, and his will. And uh, many of these humans seeking secular power are seeking their, the powers and privileges that they have been granted, which is very short-sighted considering why would you seek to gain the power and privilege of a subservient group who offers you nothing but a very temporary access to something. But 
they sought to use you know, influence, be influence peddlers over these individuals and try to stamp out the, the Christians by, well, let's torture them. Let's persecute them. Let's sell them into slavery. Let's burn down their places of worship. Let's arrest their leaders. Let's destroy their holy places. And all this did was just as Christ was able to rise up and defeat death, when the powers and principalities of this world sought to destroy him, so his church grows. Now it's very, it seems almost counterintuitive to think that a group who is, that the more pressure, the more persecution, um, the more terrible things that are done to a group, that not only will they not disappear, but they'll actually grow and become stronger. And now you've seen a bit of change of tactics, per se. And it's not a new tactic. It's, it's very similar to what occurs to us and has occurred to every person who is trying to follow he who is throughout history of, of his revelation to humanity. This is not a new tactic of of it's the same as what was done with those who were seeking powers and principalities uh, or uh, um, of this world is corruption. And and it's also not to say that that the the old um, hammer and anvil doesn't come out. It does. You look around the world and there's many Christians in China and Nigeria and a lot of these places all over the world, they are being persecuted still. But within the, the larger sections of the of the West, you'll see that corruption has been found to be a much better carrot to use against the church. And you see this through basically how the through taxation, through how taxes work. And especially in America, and I, I'm not that familiar with, with Canada, um, um, with other uh, Western countries per se, but I think it's pretty similar where houses of worship um, are, are exempt from, from property taxes. Um, definitely in America, once they reach a certain size and, and they go through the, the reasonable hoops, um, anybody can, and you'll see that there's thousands and thousands and thousands of different nonprofit religions in America. Um, you know, everything from um, Catholicism to the Methodists to um, Scientology uh, are all considered tax exempt because they are a religious group. And ostensibly, uh, this is put out because the, uh, there's the, you know, that, that a lot of these organizations do a lot of good. They serve a public good, um, at least on the face. That's why they say that they do this. So we're going to make them tax exempt. And then that way they have more um, capital to be able to do these public goods. And that's the, the face of it. That's the, the public reasoning um, that, they, that they give 
um, for this. At least uh, that's the reason that the power uh, presents to the public. Uh, Germany's even more, it's even a bigger carrot. Because basically what happens, I don't know the exact percentage, is that when you fill out your tax forms, you mark your religious status. Um, whether you're Catholic or Lutheran or Muslim or Hindu or whatever it may be. And a portion of your taxes go to that group. And so even it doesn't, you don't have to be practicing. You don't even have to have ever even said I'm Catholic or I'm a Muslim. If whatever you mark down is where that money goes. And the Catholic Church in Germany is immensely wealthy. Um, it's believed that they are even more wealthy than the Vatican itself. And I'll go over why this is, this is a problem as well. My contention is, is that I believe, and, and I just kind of want to go back to my proposal and then go over the kind of the, the possible negatives and then go into the, the, what I see as the, the, the pros of the argument, the, why it should be done. My contention is that I believe that we shouldn't fight for that. You see these, um, the communion debate with Joe Biden. If you go on Twitter and you read any of these, you'll see all these people that are people of different non-Catholic um, faiths. But majority of them, I say, would probably claim that they're atheists or agnostics, although there really is no such thing as an, an atheist. But that's a different uh, topic for a different day as well. Um, saying, well, if they're going to deny buying communion, then they should have their tax-exempt status taken away because they're getting into politics. And that's one of the caveats of it is that if a religion can't advocate for... So if you're a church and you want to say, oh, everybody should vote Democrat and you make that... Uh, or everybody should vote Republican or everybody should vote Green Party or everybody should vote Libertarian or everybody should vote Constitutional, whatever it is. If you advocate for specific parties and or specific candidates by name, um, then you can lose that status. Now, does it still happen that pastors and preachers will um, do this? Yeah, uh, it's sometimes very publicly, but uh, the, the, the secular powers and principalities are very reticent. Uh, to any group of any size for the most part to really go after them. Now, if you're a church of like 20 people in rural wherever, that could be something that you could see. Um, but for the most part, you don't really see this, uh, the, the, the stick come out for this. But um, I've become more and more convinced that we shouldn't fight this, that we should just say, fine, take away our, prop or our, our tax exempt status. Fine, tax us. Fine, do all these sorts of things. I see the potential negatives there uh, to be to have uh, church property be taxed, to have uh, church incomes be taxed, to have, um, and it wouldn't just be the property itself, it would be the building's value, which a lot of these uh, churches are located in what is now prime real estate. And even then it was, but they a lot of times these towns they would start very small and there would always be the church or churches more around the town center because always the idea was you have it at the town center because that's where most people are and uh, 
it's a symbolic of where the eyes of the city are located, right? You're all focusing on the center and it's constricting out, but you're always focused on, on the center. And God, uh, Christ, should be in the church, should be at the center of the of the city. Um, and so now, probably depending on the city, I mean, it's some of the most prime real estate that, that's available. So the, the values, you know, plus the values of the old stained glass and the buildings and the reliquaries and various other things like that, um, if they decide to tax everything in one lump sum of what's happened, that would be very detrimental to the mission of the church as far as for being able to keep uh, churches open, to be able to, you know, because if they can't even keep the church open, they're not going to be able to run the food pantries, they're not going to be able to run the homeless shelters, they're not going to be able to run the outreach and rehabs and host the AA meetings um, and do all these sorts of things that they do too for society. As well as, you know, just not even being able to keep these buildings open uh, would also uh, hurt a lot of people's spirituality and access to the sacraments. I do recognize that. But, and it, and it also opens up uh, the ability to, to uh, put pressure on specific churches and faiths that uh, fall even further out of favor um, with the secular powers and principalities by assessing them at higher rates and all these sorts of things. Um, so with that, that's really the only main negatives that I could see. It's just, it's, it's really the loss of that money, um, the, the lessening of, of the amount that you're able to, because if you have less amount, you have to do the upkeeps on the buildings. You have to be able to uh, provide uh, for the ministers and priests and, you know, depending on whatever your denomination is, um, to do that. And that's kind of like your core and then your core mission. And then from out there, that's where you run outside. I mean, everything's kind of the core mission in, in, the, in the Christian view as far as for helping the poor and all that. But... Um, the ability to, to deliver the sacraments to the people is, is probably the, the, the primary um, goal of the, the physical church, um, the physical diocese and things like that. And then from there, uh, being able to do a lot of these other um, charitable things as well. But if... The reason I think that it's maybe time to start to stop trying to fight that is because... This has been used as the carrot. You see, uh, especially, you know, over the last 50 to 60 years, a real reticence and uh, of those in the church hierarchy of speaking out against these secular powers and principalities. Um, they, I think a lot of it comes from one, I think that there's been an infiltration of modernism and, and kind of liberal thinking post-World War II, um, especially in Europe. I think that had a lot to do with just the absolute death and destruction that came from the war. And a lot of people kind of maybe didn't lose their faith in totality, but lost a lot of, lost, uh, a lot of the strength of that faith. And I think that's kind of filtered down throughout the ages and influence and things are kind of snowballing 
uh, to an extent. And this really isn't, uh, I'm, I'm coming from the Catholic perspective, but this is not uh, necessarily anything that's unique just to Catholicism. Um, you know, with a non-denominational, it's like whatever your individual church is, is the state of the church, right? Um, and if you don't like it, you just move to the next one. So, you know, it's a lot harder to identify. We go, no, no, I go to my church, right? And our church, you know, my pastor speaks out. It's like, okay, but... You know, you're just the, the you're just speaking for those fifty people and that one pastor as being okay versus the church, uh, the Christianity as a whole or the church. But speaking from Catholicism, I think that a lot of it has to do with, as you've seen, um, and I've spoken about why I think this is. I think that it, the, the changes in in since Vatican II and and kind of the the D sanctifying the, the the removal of the of the of the sacred um, symbolism and approach to the sacred you just see this in the church numbers you see in attendance dropping alongside that um, you know do, uh, tithing and donations and, and and weekly offerings that come up um, you see this in lack of not just church attendance but even those who are Catholic still of just misunderstanding or not outright believing very basic things. We're not talking about um, even something I would consider praying the rosary every day as being somewhat basic. Um, but things like, is Christ present in the Eucharist? Only 30% of Catholics believe that. And I think that a lot of this has to do uh, with all this stuff coming together and less money, and you see church closings all over. And I don't, you know, a, a bishop who is a, you know, comes into a diocese and he gets promoted and uh, to become the bishop of that diocese, and you know, he is a good, strong um, man of faith who understands, you know, the. The tradition and everything. I mean, it doesn't make it, their job isn't any easier because they do embrace the deposit of faith and the tradition and, and the sacred nature of their position and all that. You know, they're just as affected as the, the modernist bishop would be. And I don't envy them because it's very difficult to go, we can't afford to keep all these churches out. And this church only has, you know, it was built to hold, you know, 200 people and it's got, you know, 46. And then this one's got, you know, 80. And then this one's got, you know, um, 62. And we can't afford to keep all three churches open. I mean, just they, they're not paying property taxes and all that sort of stuff. Sure. Um, but you have upkeep. You have to replace roofs. You have to keep power. You have to, you know, all, all these sorts of things that are just, you know, normal uh, expenses. Uh, it's just impossible. And I think a lot of them, because of this precarious financial position, and it's not that being more financially solvent would, would fix it either, per se, um, although I think that that's part of it, but I think that comes with a re-embracement of tradition and 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 um, the kind of numbers that that see, you know, bears out. Um, I think a lot of them are very afraid of poking any sort of bear in terms of secular powers and principalities of losing that status or that you know that carrot being removed and that that is the carrot that i think that keeps a lot of them muzzled to an extent 
I mean, the abortion debate has been raging since Roe v. Wade in, in the 70s. And you've never seen any excommunications. Now, you have seen instances of, um, in certain parishes or whatever, where a politician was denied communion because of their public position um, against church teaching. But you've never seen any real, uh, real, firm, unified message on this. You've seen the message of, we, didn't, we think that abortion is morally wrong and that it's murder, but that's about it. It's, it's statements. Um, it's not actual action. It's not actual doing things within their power to do. This is not a bishop saying that X person, or a priest even, saying X person cannot receive communion until they go to confession, until they repent. And most importantly, or not most importantly, but in conjunction with that, part of that repentance is to, um, at the very least, stop promoting these sorts of things. And that really hasn't been done as a, in a unified way. And like I talked with uh, Cyprian in, in the episode um, before, this is not something new. Uh, this is not a new invention. This has been something um, that has, has been a right of a presbyter or a priest or a bishop to do um, within their within their jurisdiction. I mean, a priest can has jurisdiction over his parish, so he can make that call. Uh, a bishop has jurisdiction over his diocese. That's their the lateral um, or the, the 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 horizontal, and and they have um, they have the right to do that. Absolutely. Uh, but you haven't really seen that, like I said, that unified message. And this is something I, I mentioned, um, like I said in that interview, was that uh, St. Ambrose did this to Emperor Theodosius. He massacred, I don't know how many thousand, it was like 7,000 people in Thessalonica in Greece because there was a riot. Yeah, there's a riot there. And St. Ambrose basically just said, you murdered innocents, you murdered Christians um, until you publicly repent. Not only can you not receive communion, but you're not going to be allowed in this church. You need to repent in the way that David did, which is, you know, basically a, a public display of, of requesting forgiveness. And, and yeah, so uh, the, uh, the emperor did that. I think it was about a month or so of public repentance, and then he was... Um, basically given absolution forgiven and he was allowed to come back. Um, and so this is something that's always been within their hip pocket, but they won't use it really. Um, giving them the benefit of the doubt of believing that, well, if we just keep dialogue open, we'll somehow, I mean, cause that's what you've heard about with like Nancy Pelosi and it's going, well, we, we you know, we want to keep, we're dialoguing on this subject. Well, I mean, hers is not a new position. It's been years. So, even giving the benefit of the doubt, just from a pragmatic standpoint, um, you know, it's it's been like 30 years, so I think that you can kind of say that maybe the dialogue uh, isn't working, and even if they were, you know, that they were approaching it with good intentions, you know, she is obviously not, um, and, and you know, and should be. Um, and I think that, you know, within uh, Germany, like I talked about, as another example, they have like I said, more money. Um, just the one, the Diocese of Cologne itself has 
uh, over $3 billion in assets. And that's just what was disclosed. Um, it could be more. So the, the whole, all of the German diocese, it just has to be massive. Um, and this gives them immense power because popes have, you know, pet projects, you know, World Youth Day and all these other things that they want to see come to fruition. Um, you know, different evangelizations and, and different things. Um, and they need money to do these sorts of things just like anybody else does. And a, what you'll see is that a lot of the German uh, dioceses have contributed a lot of money to, to papal projects. And this has bought them a lot of influence, um, whether it's appointments of individuals or whether it's directions or decisions and things like that. And of course, this does have a limit, like you just saw um, with the CDFs uh, answering the German uh, bishops dubia, asking whether or not that dubia is basically a, a request for clarification from a bishop or a cardinal um, uh, to the Vatican on a subject. So the dubia was on, can we bless same-sex couples? Not at, they weren't asking, although that's really what they're eventually going after. Uh, they weren't asking to marry same-sex couples, but just like if, you know, after mass, or if I see a priest um, in, a, in a parking lot, I can say, Father, can I get a blessing, right? Or if me and my wife are there, like, Father, can you give us a blessing? Or if my, my children are with us, can you give us, our family a blessing, right? They were asking of, can we bless a same-sex couple? And there's never been anything that's ever been against and nor would it be nor would it be right to say oh no you can't bless somebody who's um who's gay right because you can bless a sinner you're not blessing what they do you are blessing them giving them a blessing praying for their soul but to bless a couple you're blessing that which joins them which is as the church says is disordered and the CDF came back and said that that was, they could, you know, that's not okay. You can't bless a sin. Um, you can bless a sinner, but you cannot bless the sin itself. Because by blessing a couple, you're blessing them, both of them, as individuals, but also what binds them. And so obviously this has some, you know, limits, but it has really influence. And there's been some uh, books and articles and things that people have written over the years, um, I believe one was called the Rhine runs into the Tiber to talk about the influence of German bishops. And the German bishops are by far probably the most modernist and liberal, um, which for, I think, a lot of the same reasons that I mentioned before, post-World War II and those sorts of things, that German society itself went very far because they wanted to pretty much distance themselves as far away from any kind of attachment to uh, the Third Reich uh, you know, in general. So anything that any kind of question of is this okay or is this not okay in society if it if there is any even hint of um anything that could be construed as being in line with what the third reich uh, held they just ran in the other direction and I mean, I mean this is a fallacy itself of just going well if a bad person or bad group believes something or did something um as far as for the their actions and that automatically makes that evil i mean hitler was a vegetarian it doesn't make vegetarianism um evil in itself but anyways i i can understand why they did and this is um why the german bishops i think also reflect that move but i think a lot of that 
came from them and their influence is also um, a very bad influence on the direction of the church and i think that this is a good thing although it will cause a lot of suffering acknowledge that it will cause a lot of damage acknowledge that um, but i think overall it will be a very good thing to have that carrot that's kind of right in front of the eyes right of the bishops of the church just like a, a donkey being led that once you remove that carrot you're not going to have anything to be running towards and in in your focus is no longer going to be as much on what's right in front of you that treat that thing that you want you're going to start to notice that stick that's there you're going to start to feel as you stop responding because the incentive is gone you're going to start to feel the whip you're going to start to feel the stick as you're being punished for not moving in the direction that you're wanted to move and it's inevitable i think pretty much everybody who, who listens to, to this has, has been kind of on the same path that there is a persecution coming i mean it's already here but is it it, it is not ramped up to the extent that i'm talking about um, and that's coming because the state, the, the powers and principalities can, you know, coexist with Christianity, of course. Um, but if you do the bidding of the powers and principalities, uh, you cannot coexist with that. By that, I mean, like, can a... Can there be a Christian nation or a Christian state? Absolutely. Absolutely. But that, it depends on, but just as, as with the individual, if they are seeking to serve the Most High, then they will inevitably fall in that same direction. But it's very difficult for that to actually occur. And... the way that you see the, the this individualistic concept and democracy and all that i don't think is necessarily compatible with that um and i think that what you're seeing now is is as the the christianity without christ has developed from metastasizing from protestantism into the social gospel movement and then the progressivism and then now into the church of woke and this is not you know in the in the in the words of this is not its final form either but as this develops it's it cannot live alongside a christianity with christ and it's going to lead to an inevitable clash and this clash is not going to be some lord of the rings you know two towers with two armies clashing at the gates um you're going to see this more in the individual uh as people have to make choices and we do this every day regardless but it's going to become more pronounced as time moves on and it's going to become more regular um and it's going to become more overt rather than the kind of the more insidious covert of the prince of this world where he tempts individuals every day you know do you look at this or do you turn your eyes away do you talk about this thing or that thing that's improper or do you hold your tongue 
Do you get up in the morning to say your prayers or do you sleep in? Do you say your prayers before you go to bed at night or do you just too tired and go to bed? And this is the very kind of more coverty, insidious nature. Uh, the overt is you can't wear that cross out in public that offends people. You can't attend church because it's a danger to public health. All these sorts of things are the more overt actions that I'm talking about. But history has shown that the church is always at its best, at its healthiest, and its people most ironically spiritually strong when the carrot is removed, when the powers and principalities are forced to remove their carrot and bring out the stick. And for these reasons, I, th I think that this would be better. And I think that's going to happen inevitably anyways. Um, and so I guess I'm more saying that we shouldn't fight it. And I guess it's almost a collapsitarian um, uh, outlook as well of, of saying, you know, not only not fight it, but maybe go, sure, go and do it, please. Um, but there's an aspect of, of Christian suffering where we um, welcome all that God brings us, whether it's a disease, a lost job, you know, um, this, you know, whatever it may be. And welcome it as a way, as a, as a sanctification measure, um, and that we shouldn't seek out crosses, right? We, we shouldn't necessarily seek out mortifications um, for these things. And because and, that can kind of start to, to border on, on sadism um, uh, to an extent. Although we are called to go out you know, and, and if you're called to evangelize, um, and you know that that will probably bring your death, you're called to do that as well. So, I mean, there's a fine line between that. And it takes a lot of spiritual direction when you start to get more towards those lines. But um, I think it's going to happen anyways, and I don't think that we should um, try to put any sort of energy into fighting against it. Uh, is more of of my of my view, uh, because I, I think that we will be much better off when we have that stick squarely before us and we feel that sting of the whip. So I want to thank you for listening today. Please, once again, rating, review, iTunes, all that kind of good stuff. Head over to my uh, locals community. I love um, to interact with you guys or to just um, uh, hear about your stories and answer any questions if I can. I'm not a theologian and I'm not an expert I'm just a regular person just trying to um, enrich myself um, and learn more about uh, God and learn more about the faith and learn how to um, better enrich myself spiritually and uh, a lot of these discussions with people and questions forces me to um, actually go and go well actually I don't know about that and I go out and research it which is which is very edifying for me um, but my uh, locals group is locals.com or, I'm sorry, it's uh, ozymandias.locals.com, O-Z-Y-M-A-N-D-I-A-S.locals.com. And uh, once again, thanks for listening, and thanks for watching.